Inside Northwest Sports, Episode 1, recorded January 14th, 2016, is made possible by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com forward slash inside Northwest Sports to contribute. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm your host, Kai Fuller. Today, I'm joined by Jared Stoneberg, former Minnesota resident. Jared will break down why every Viking fan should have seen Sunday's disaster coming. But first, Mason Hawthorne, former basketball player, coach, ref, recruiter, and writer, breaks down the latest in Huskies basketball. So, Mason, what's going on with Huskies? Well, right now, um, because of the timing of this, you, you actually have to land right at halftime, where we uh, trail the opposing Arizona Wildcats by three at half in Arizona, which is a uh, which is good. I'll take that. Anytime you're playing a ranked team in their home uh, arena and you're holding down a position at half, that's a good thing. So, uh, but just to table that for a second and, and contextualize why I think Husky basketball is an interesting topic is I don't feel like they're getting any sort of a national credit and. Uh, what I mean specifically is that preseason polls, 11th out of 12th in the Pac-12, yet at this point in the three games, they're the only undefeated Pac-12 team, and yet still no change on the meter as far as the metrics that put people in the top 68 for the tournament. So sort of an ongoing theme, really, with uh, Seattle basketball. Right. So we're undefeated in the conference. What about everybody else? No one else other than us is, uh, is 3-0. The team we're playing... And undefeated in the conference, I mean, our pre, uh, you know, the out-of-conference games kind of make, you know, and that's a hot spot because you're playing a, a combination of ranked teams and teams that shouldn't be playing you. Uh, but just to kind of to, to highlight my point, Arizona, who we're playing, uh, they benefit from being being Arizona. They're one and two in the conference. Their out-of-conference schedule wasn't that amazing, yet they still managed to fall between 12th and 17th in the nation in the rankings, and that has everything to do with uh, with how they brand Pac-12 basketball. If, if UCLA and Arizona, they just kind of arbitrarily put those guys at top regardless of what goes on in recruiting. And um, and then, you know, Washington gets the opposite of that, along with, like, the Oregon State and some of the other teams seem to be fodder teams, yet uh, large competitive machines that bring a lot of recruiting into the Pac-12 as a unit and have produced a lot of NBA players in the last 10 years as well. So I, I kind of feel like it's a little weird that there's a, basically a Husky in every draft, uh, yet we never get any sort of um, – we never get the benefit of the doubt on our recruiting classes or our preseason rankings. Right. And do you think that's kind of reflecting the fact that we haven't gone far in the tournament recently? or? Yeah, I think that's something to be said about um, tournament play, although that wouldn't explain um, you know, UCLA, for instance, you know, uh, has had a bunch of ridiculous um, under you know underachievement seasons, and they, it doesn't seem to affect them when they have three or four of those in a row. So I think it just kind of goes back to the same thing that we see in college football, where um, they're sort of go-to teams that they want to anoint, given their just their name power, and uh, you know if you've got a particular player that you're bringing in as a freshman that everybody kind of knows about, they immediately assume that will make a difference rather than looking at the actual composition of the team and what things they needed and what things were addressed. They pretty much just go, okay, uh, we know Arizona's coached by a guy we like. They always do well. Um, this new group of guys must be amazing. We're going to call them seventh best in the, in the nation kind of thing. 
And uh, I think the opposite happens with Romar. And I think what's interesting, what's interesting and why it's an issue, you know, because I don't, you can get into statistics and all the sort of wins and losses. I mean, it really doesn't matter until you get to the tournament anyway. But I think it's interesting that every year we hear this thing about, uh, you know, is Lorenzo Romar's job in trouble thing, which I'm sure you're familiar with, right? right. It's just kind of an ongoing thing. Like, oh, he could lose his job. He didn't lose the tournament, you know, he didn't lose the tournament game. But the truth is, uh, he's done nothing but recruit future NBA players for the duration of his time here. And uh, and that hasn't always equated into wins, but the times that it hasn't equated into wins has usually been the product of some sort of weird decommitment like we saw a few years back with, uh, you know, with, um, with Marcus Cousins and then Elias Cantor and then Terrence Jones, guys that they were counting on having who then also went to Kentucky, oddly enough. Or an injury, or like last year, we had the player who had the drug relapse and was, you know, uh, annexed from the team. Um, so there's usually some other thing kind of responsible for the downfall of the team. And I don't, I don't know why you'd want to put that on Romar, and I really don't understand why you'd want to put that on Romar's ability to uh, recruit, because that's one area that he's really good at. And anybody who's old enough to remember the Huskies pre-Romar will certainly remember that we couldn't even keep our our hometown guys here, let alone get California and Utah and uh, other recruits. Yeah, I certainly remember uh, Husky basketball wasn't really even a thing before Romar came along. So it, it reminds me a little bit of uh, George Carl being ran out of town. Yeah. And that's a good that's a good general Seattle sports tie-in. But I, I think that's really kind of the reason why it's interesting to me. I always like you know I like to look at things microcosmically and how how we react as fans kind of is, is sort of um, determined upon how we feel collectively as human and human collaboration and how we deal with stuff. And you're right. We, there's this thing where if there's a spike in interest or a spike in success with any of these teams and they're no longer dormant, it, it changes the expectation. But for whatever reason, it does not increase the intelligence of the spectator. So it's this weird thing where all of a sudden you find yourself in more conversations with people who you wouldn't have had two years ago about whatever the thing is, whether it be, you know, Seahawks or the Huskies or, or even like Sounders. Right. Uh, but but they haven't done the they haven't done the homework on the thing that they now want to talk about. So they only react to you know this is basically the the most over filtered, uh, over repeated, you know uh, blurbs that they might have got regurgitated from whatever news source they get, and that's the one thing they know. So that that's the thing I think is frustrating about being a Seattle sports fan. Period. So. Yeah, uh, I, I think we're seeing we're seeing with the Huskies for sure. Well, and that's what we're trying to so, do here today, right? Is try to bring a little different perspective to the uh, to that conversation. Just throwing a little self promotion yeah. there. Uh, Jared, do you, have, do you have any thoughts on the on this topic? You know, I I'm not a huge Huskies basketball fan, sure, but I will say that I recognize uh, their ability to to bring it when it comes to coaching. I I've lived in places where I've seen the college coach really not have the influence uh, that Romar has, and recruiting is where it's at. And his ability to pull in talent has shown that he's been able to put players who are talented on the court. I think that's been some yeah. kind of brutal tournaments, um, and I, I would like to see him have a little more rope, frankly. Yeah, I agree with that. Coming up. Jared Stoneberg brings a historical perspective to the Vikings' heartbreaking loss on Sunday. And what happened at the final Seattle performance of Book of Mormon? After the break. 
Here at Inside Northwest Sports, we want to bring you unique perspectives, in-depth coverage, and an alternative to mainstream sports talk radio. But we can't do it without your support. Visit patreon.com forward slash inside Northwest Sports to find out how you can contribute. Bill Simmons called Vikings fans the second most tortured fan base in pro sports, bested only by the Chicago Cubs. Jared Stoneberg tells us why. Thanks, Kai. I'm super excited to be here this week to talk about the Hawks game in Minneapolis last weekend. As uh, a native Minnesotan, uh, I watched this game with special interest. I lived in Minnesota uh, for many years. I grew up there and relocated to the Pacific Northwest in Seattle 10 years ago. Um, and have been becoming a Seahawks fan. Uh, Ten years ago was not a great time to become a Seahawks fan. It wasn't a natural transition. Uh, but the last few years have really gotten me fired up, and uh, I've kind of wondered about my allegiance. And a few weeks ago when Seattle went to Minnesota and laid a smackdown on the Vikings, it was clear to me that uh, I was happy about that. And I, I think that was the day I knew I was truly a Hawks fan as much as I celebrated in the Super Bowl and had my heart broken in the following Super Bowl. Uh, I wasn't quite sure until a few weeks ago. Uh, but I still root for the Vikings whenever they're not playing the Hawks. And uh, last week's game was totally classic Vikings. Um, anybody who's followed the Vikings for a long time or, or been a Vikings fan knows that um, they're going to break your heart. Being a Vikings fan is one of the most brutal uh, sports experiences there is. Um, there, are, there are a couple examples uh, that come to mind I thought I would share. Uh, in 1998, after having an amazing season behind Randall Cunningham, the Vikings go and uh, play against the Falcons, and uh, on a field goal, the misses left. Um, surprise. They lose, uh, and Falcons go on to the Super Bowl. Um, they were 15 and one. Uh, a couple of years or a decade later, in 2009, uh, behind the, the heroics of Brett Favre, they go on to the NFC Championship game, and in the last minute, in true Brett Favre fashion, uh, he's intercepted, and the Saints go on to win in overtime. Um, Bill Simmons articulated this uh, really well. As, as Kai, you mentioned, and he talks about kind of some of the requirements for understanding how, what you need to know about what it really means to be following a team that's going to hurt you emotionally. And he has requirements, you know, you need to have a 35-year drought without a title, he says. Um, but it's not just enough to lose during that time. Uh, it's that you need to have your guts retched out. And that's the problem, is that the Vikings weren't losing all the time. Uh, they were just losing at exactly the perfect time uh, to kill. The time. Yeah, just brutal. Um, and so, uh, you know, this week, last week, I guess it was, before the game, I was preparing to, I was, I was hanging out with a buddy, and he says, you know, what do you think is going to happen? And I said, I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I think... The Vikings could have the lead, but I just don't trust him to pull it off. And and it was amazing. Like, he texted me as soon as the kick happened. And uh, I had a little bit of claim chowder there. Uh, I do have 
you know, a lot of respect for what's going on in Minnesota right now. I'm super excited for them. I think there's a lot to be excited about. The quarterback position right now is locked down. I think Teddy Bridgewater is going to be good for a long time. I think AP has good years in front of him after leading the league this year in rushing. The defense is solid, very solid. I think it's the best in the North, in the NFC North. And to me, the biggest thing to be excited about is just having the coaching staff really, really um, be supported by the organization and the city. That's been something that, as I was there, uh, it just kind of felt like the whole team went with how the coaching was going uh, rather than um, the other way around. And to see Zimmer uh, move in there and really take control of the team, get the support of the team, the support of the organization and the city, uh, I think Minnesota's got a lot of uh, good things in front of them. I'm glad we were able to get past them last week, uh, even though it had to go the way it went. I will say I have a, just a, a funny anecdote. Uh, I was watching the game, and last week in Seattle, we had at the Paramount Theater, the Broadway play, The Book of Mormon was playing. And uh, I'm not a huge theater person, I definitely enjoy taking in a show if possible. And as happenstance would have it, uh, I was offered a single ticket front row to the one o'clock show. And I thought for sure, yeah, the, the, the game will be over certainly. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take you up on that ticket I told I told my friends. So I take the ticket and the game is dragging on and dragging on. And I said, you know what? There's eight minutes left. I'm going to move it down. I live just outside of downtown. I'm just going to huff it down the hill, uh, get to the Paramount, and they got some great TVs there. I'm going to watch the game in the lobby, go in and see the show because it'll be over for sure. Um, I actually get down there, and the game is not done. The game has turned in dramatic fashion uh, following the the fourth quarter events. I see the Russell Wilson scramble off of the bad snap, the toss to lock it. He moves the ball down the field. All of a sudden, the, the Seahawks are back in play. I see Adrian Peterson fumble the ball. And it's getting pretty exciting. And at the same time, the lights are flashing inside the theater, telling everybody to get to their seats. And so I move into the front row of the theater, the humongous Paramount Theater, with the game streaming on my phone and a crowd of people around me as the announcer comes on right after we have given up a completion to Rudolph down the sideline and had a penalty. The Vikings are lining up. They're getting ready to kick the field goal to win the game. And the announcer comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, the show will be starting in one minute. Please turn off your cell phones. And the entire theater just bursts out laughing because there is not one person in this place who's going to turn out <laughs> their cell phone. Not one. And then my stream totally cut out like the stream of the game just went out completely and i was like what's going on and from the back of the theater to the front it felt like you could hear a murmur and all of a sudden like a louder and louder and louder sound started until there was cheering as people heard the news that he had missed the kick left and at the end of it the entire paramount was cheering sea hawks sea hawks sea hawks <laughs> And as I'm standing, I'm sitting in the very front row in front of the pit for the, where the band sits. And I turn around, I can see the entire theater, people standing up with their phones above their heads, 
chanting for the Seahawks. Um, and two seconds later, the lights go completely off and the band bursts into music with the opening number for the show. It was the last day the show played here in Seattle, and I do not think they could have started a show any better than that. Um, we were about to go watch a, a wonderful musical with our hearts broken, and instead it was like complete elation. It was, it was a really awesome way to experience the win. When we come back, Seahawks, Panthers, keys to the game. Podcasts present advertisers a unique opportunity to reach specific demographics at a competitive cost per impression. If you'd like to advertise with Inside Northwest Sports, click the link in the show description. We close out today's discussion by looking forward to the Seahawks division round matchup with the Panthers. Mason, what are the keys of the game for the Seahawks? I think just maintaining momentum. Uh, I've said really since about week 10 that uh, nobody's going to want to play us in the playoffs. And I think Carolina, even though they beat us last time, um, you know, the previous four outings did not go well for them, and I know they know that. So I think the key is um, not being passive and taking it to them and exploiting the things we didn't have last time we played that we do have now primarily a Bobby Wagner that's healthy uh, that eliminates the Greg Olson over the middle thing uh, and allows us to maybe get to the quarterback more. So I think that's it. Just being aggressive and, and, and remembering that, that Carolina is the one that's going to be feeling like they are uh, on their heels a bit. And if we can do that early, if we can establish a lead early, um, I don't think Cam Newton has shown us that he's got come from behind uh, consistency. Uh, he's done it a couple times, but he hasn't really become that quarterback that you can put the team on his back with two minutes to go down by two scores yet. So that's what I would say the key to the game is. Jared? Well, I think for the Hawks this week, I'm, I I want them to try and control the big plays. Like I get concerned about some of the down-the-field plays we've given up and, and Cam's ability to throw the ball uh, deep, that just kind of scares me. I feel really good about our ability to get to him and our, our front presence on defense. But I really want to see Earl uh, have a huge game breaking up passes, you know, 20 to 30 yards down the field. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, and if you're, if you're a Panthers fan, what would you be looking at? If I'm a Panthers fan, I want to see the defensive ends containing the outside. I don't want to see Russell getting to the sideline at all. I want to push him back up the middle. Um, I think I want to see Jonathan Stewart get into rhythm early and open up some of the play action for, for Cam to go long. Um, I think that it's really an interesting matchup because of the defensive focus of each of the teams. And I think it's going to come down to strategic choices about when to take a shot. I think there's going to be some, some big plays. I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, some deep balls to Baldwin and, and curse, but, uh, I want to see the defensive backs and the secondary of the Seahawks really step up this week. I think that's going to make a huge difference for us. Mason? If I'm Carolina, is that you're talking about yep. this, uh, what Carolina's keeps? Uh, well, I think it's kind of just more of the same. If we've been watching the game tape in the last couple of games, um, you know, three of our last four, we've, we've played kind of monster defensive tackles. 
uh, you know, St. Louis obviously gave us a lot of trouble. And then, uh, you know, the defensive front for Minnesota is stout and legitimate. Um, I think the best defensive line in football could easily be Carolina, and if not, I think they're at least in the top three in that conversation. So if they can control, I think they want to control the physical presence at the line. Uh, games are like, like Jared said, the big, you know, games are basically won by big plays and your ability to maintain field position at the line. So, yeah, to, uh, choosing their spots to take the shots down line, but knowing that they can keep pressure on Wilson because they kind of had the advantage at the lineup between our offensive line and their, their those big two at the right front. They have, I think, their nose tackle that they're a leader in, in tackles, and that's kind of an unusual statistic uh, given the um, given the actual, uh, you know, the defensive schematics. You know, so they're, they're definitely a force to be reckoned with up front. I do also think that they probably want to make it a ground game for the other reason, which is um, they're kind of depleted in the secondary other than Josh Norman. So I think they would like to get into just a slug it out, uh, smash mouth game. I don't think they want to see Russell Wilson put the ball in the air that much. So that's what I would say. Right. Yeah, and you know I've been saying all you know ever since Marshawn Lynch has been out that you know he's a huge factor in the game and, and not having him was was going to hurt us but here we are in the division championship game so and he's day-to-day still right so we're, we're not sure if he's going to travel with the team or not it's it's looking better each day uh what are we looking at if if he doesn't make the the team um i you know we haven't had him long enough now but i don't think we're practicing with having him in mind it's almost like a bonus if he's there but i don't think the game plan is negatively altered if he's not because it's been the same game plan we've been winning with over the last, you know, 10 weeks or whatever. So um, obviously he gives us, uh, there's, there's a sort of a special type of player he is that other teams have a hard time with, especially late in games and especially after you start weakening their line. Uh, so you'd want to have him, but I don't think it's a, an emergency if he's not there. Uh, and I do kind of think we're going to come out passing, to be honest with you. I think the game plan might be to pass. We've got three dudes in that secondary that weren't there early in the year or are basically average to below average replacement level secondaries. And if you're going to say that Josh Norman is the dude who's going to be responsible for Doug Baldwin or whatever, that means Lockett or somebody else is going to have a really nice match, you know, in, in the absence of not having to deal with Norman. So I don't think the Marshawn Lynch thing is that big of a factor this week. And of course, I also would say that with the, you know, with the caveat that obviously it's always a big factor when he's not there because when he's healthy and playing, um, he's a significant game-changing player. Yeah, he's a lot of fun to watch, right? Right. Jared, do you have any final thoughts on that on that subject? No, you know, I think having Marsh. I, I, I want to echo what Mason said. I think having Marshawn on the field will change the way that they're going to line up against us. Uh, but I think we've demonstrated that we can win without him. And I really like the way we've seen people step up. Uh, Christian Michael's been doing a good job. I think I think they're game planning without him, and uh, I hope he's out there. And I I think we're going to be successful even if he's not. That's it for this week. Thanks again to Mason Hawthorne and Jared Stoneberg. Join us next week for a discussion about the NCAA meetings, Boise State football, and reactions to Sunday's game. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and your favorite podcast app. Subscribe today.